We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Happy Friday to everybody. Uh, with me today is Chris Cooley. Uh, I have no idea what he's got uh, prepared for the show. He just told me moments ago. Uh, you'll find out once we start the show. Don't forget to subscribe. It doesn't cost you a thing. Rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Uh, that's always helpful. Um, it was schedule day yesterday. So I do have some thoughts on the NFL schedule. I don't know if you know that the schedule was released yesterday or not, and if you have any thoughts on the schedule. And I also don't know whether or not you've got film breakdown for the two players that I asked you to evaluate, and that would be Cole Turner, the tight end from Nevada, and Brian Robinson Jr. from Alabama. So do you want to tell everybody what you have prepared for the show today? Kevin, as long as you've known me, if you ask something, it, it happens. So you sent me a text this week and asked if I could do the two players. And so I'm going to, you're going to assume that I did it because I've always done it. I've always come through for you. That is true. That is absolutely true. I, I'm sorry that I even questioned whether or not you would be prepared, but the way you said it before the show started. If I wasn't, if, if I wasn't prepared. I would have just not come on today. No, that's not true. Because of the schedule, yeah. and I sent you the text, and I said, because um, I had just done this thing with uh, Craig Hoffman and Logan Paulson. They're doing a podcast together, and they had asked me about you know the fascination that I've had with the NFL schedule and when I started my mock schedule and any moments over the years uh, with the mock schedule. And I said, you know, well, the first year I did it, I, I was doing the show with John Riggins and he just, he had basically said he didn't understand the idea of mock drafts. He thought that was the stupidest thing he had ever heard of. And I said, well, you know, I, I, I'm going to do, uh, I do something in my own spare time. And I kind of map out the schedule right before the schedule comes out. And he's like, well, that's even dumber. So I decided to start the mock schedule, which I was kind of a pioneer. And then I told the story about when you and I started to do the show together. And I did my mock schedule. And as we threw it to break, you teased the fact that your mock schedule was coming up in the next segment. That you had done yeah, one. I, don't, I still don't understand 
how we do a show together, and I don't get to participate in an event of the show. Well, because that was that was a me thing. That was a, that was my bit. You know, I didn't come on on Tuesdays and say right after you do your film breakdown, I'm going to do my own. But I would have gladly let you do one. But but it wasn't my bit. That was your thing. And I had a I had a you know I just I'd, thought I was still in time. What did you say? <laughs> I just thought I was still in time. Well, we never really had the issue of filling time. Usually once the show started, we we didn't have enough time when we were done, but you had that first year, you did your own mock schedule and I sat there and I'm like and you, and you hated it. <laughs> it was probably the only time I was even halfway mad at you. It's hard to be mad at you. You're not the easiest person to get mad at. And but you did, you came around and you said, you know, I I, I the next year I think you said, I, I think you're right. I think this is your bit bit and I'll just sit back and then I'll, you know, ask questions about your bit just like I would with your film breakdown every week. Yeah, so there's a difference though. What's the difference? Like the mock schedule doesn't really take that much time at <laughs> that, work. That, it, it's like yeah, it's like when Zabe did "You Are Looking Live," and I told him we'll never do this again. This is dumb. That was funny. That <laughs> he, was so he was funny. so mad. But it was easy to pick the spreads of sixteen games or, or guess who would cover or not cover. That didn't take me any time. But that was his bit. The film breakdown. You you could have done that. I know, but he let me participate in that bit. Yeah, but he didn't want to. No, and the thing that made him the most mad was he promised a steak dinner if anybody ever picked every game against the spread, and I did it in like week eight. You did? You picked every single game it. against the spread? Yeah. Uh, well, that is... And then Gold. That- and then Galdi did it two weeks later. <laughs> I don't believe that. I don't remember that. You I, didn't. I, you I went sixteen and zero, or fourteen and zero, or well, you know, if there were bye weeks. Whatever. Yes, I, I swear on my kids' lives. Wow. And I never did it again, and Galdi never did it again. But both of us did it within a span of a month. <laughs> David did it his whole life and never done it. Like, uh, like you play golf. I'm almost 40. I've never even seen a hole-in-one. I'm going to go play with my son, and he's going to have a hole-in-one when he's five. You're like, what the heck is this? I um, I just received a text from somebody who's very close to you who said, don't believe him, he's never prepared for anything. And I would just say to that person who sent me that text... I can certainly understand why at times he's not prepared for things because he's caught off guard. He didn't know it was actually happening. But when he is, when he's given direction in a firm way, like, I need you to do this, you have always come through for me. You have. And you've been very prepared. This is a podcast. There's only one person who could have heard me say that. (laughs) Well, I didn't know if you wanted me to mention (laughs) that one person. But who else could it have been? <laughs> that was funny though. It that was day, funny, it was funny, I'll, funny. I'll never, I'll never forget going to break and just looking at you, going, "No, you, you don't, you don't do a mock schedule. 
I just did my mock schedule. I do it once a year. I've been doing it for, you know, at that point, 12 or 13 or 14 years or, you know, whatever. I do this. This is the thing I do. Well, I, I, I have one ready to go, too. I wanted to do one, too. You, you, you said it with such whimsy and with such happiness, and, and you couldn't wait to do yours. And then I'm like, uh, you're oh, right. Whatever. And you did it. You're absolutely, I did want to do it. I was very excited to do a mock schedule. I wanted to see how many I could get right. I actually think for whatever reason, that was one of my better years in doing the mock schedule. Because I'll tell, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I've mentioned this before when I've done the mock schedule, and you may remember this, you may not. Um, but we were doing a show together, and it was prior to um, – the 2018 season, which was the first Alex Smith season, and the mock schedule, you know, came out in April before the actual schedule was announced. And for whatever reason, I decided with my mock schedule that they were going to play the Tennessee Titans in Nashville on a Saturday late in the season at 4:30 p.m. And the schedule came out. And there it was, Washington and Tennessee scheduled for a late Saturday afternoon game. And you couldn't believe it. And that year, I think I got, um, I think I got like three right, which was the most I have ever gotten right on a mock schedule. Uh, but that one just was completely out of the blue, that I would pick that it would be one of the Saturday games. I'd have the time right. Uh, this year, if you're curious, because you didn't do a mock schedule, I got zero right. First of all, first yeah. of all, I did do a mock schedule. I just didn't know the schedule came out yesterday, so it's it's not really relevant. Well, did you get any right? No, not a not a single one. Okay, why did you do it? But second, why? secondly, yeah, because you texted me this week about the mock schedule, and so I thought I would do it as a joke to you. Okay. So, secondly. When you guess the Titans game on Saturday at 4.30, that's worth three games in itself. So let me tell you that in my mock schedule this year, I didn't get any exactly right. But I did predict that Washington would play Chicago in its lone Thursday night football game. Every team has to play at least one game on Thursday. And the reason for that is competitive fairness. Every team has to face the playing on Sunday and then having four days to get ready for a game. Some teams play more than one Thursday game, but those teams that do that have a week off between, like Dallas will play on Thanksgiving some years and then they'll play the next Thursday. So they don't actually have two four-day preparation periods, just one. And so I did in my mock schedule predict that Washington would play Chicago on Thursday night football. I predicted it in December. It's going to happen in October. But I'm giving myself credit, at least a half a point worth of credit, for picking Chicago as the Thursday night football game. <laughs> You're the only one that does it, so you could create no, the scoring system however you want. Everybody does this now. That's the thing. Last year, and people reminded me this uh, of this, last year... I threatened not to do this again because everybody was starting to do mock schedules. And uh, it's just like, you know, legalized sports betting. I've gotten sick of betting because everybody's doing it. Now that everybody's doing a mock schedule, I threatened not to do it. But then I kind of forgot that I had threatened not to do it, and I did it. But people did remind me. You said last year you weren't going to do it. 
it's the same thing with the film breakdown. Like, look at YouTube now, type in a name, and then they got like 73 film breakdowns on every guy. Everybody does a film. I don't breakdown. remember. I don't remember. I don't remember anybody doing that when I started doing it. I thought it was a novel idea. I don't remember anybody doing it either. Certainly not for a radio segment. You know, people would have thought, well, how are you doing a film breakdown? That's a visual thing on radio. Well, it totally worked. We're trailblazers, man. Yeah, we are. We're pioneers. Pioneers end up with arrows in their backs, though, occasionally. And we've both taken several of those. So before we get to your film breakdowns of the two players that I asked you to do, um, did you see Washington's schedule, actual schedule or not? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. So, what are your first impressions? How lucky can you be to play Jacksonville and Detroit in weeks one and two? Right. But I, I've always thought the first two weeks were incredibly important. As, as Gibbs always said, like divide the season into quarters. We got we got to win each quarter. But you, you start, which they should, two and zero. Oh. That's a huge advantage. I always felt like it was a huge advantage to not have some impossible game in the first. I mean, obviously, I never thought they were impossible, but you know, looking back after my career too, like yeah, it's nice to get, get to two and zero, oh and then you play two division games, and if you get to three and one through four games. That is big time. That's a big time deal, and I, honestly, like. They should beat Jacksonville. Yeah. And they should beat Detroit. Like those are those are wins. Mark them as wins. You can't do that. You know that. You can't mark them as I wins. I know. I know that, but you should. You know, in two thousand five and in two thousand seven, the two teams with Gibbs that ultimately were playoff teams, you started off two and you started off three and zero in two thousand five. Included in that, remember, was the Monday Night Miracle game um, in Dallas on Monday night when uh, Mark Brunel hit Santana Moss twice in the final few minutes of the game. Uh, and then in two thousand seven, you guys started off two and zero. You beat the Dolphins, and then you beat the Eagles on Monday night in Philadelphia. So uh, the two Gibbs teams, you know, these quarter things that Gibbs uh, talked about and getting off to a good start, you did that, and you ended up in the playoffs. And in the years in which with Gibbs uh, you didn't go to the playoffs, 2004 and 2006, uh, you lost uh, the opener in 2004, and you lost the first two in 2006. So I – my first reaction to the Jacksonville home opener was this actually may be the game more than any other on their schedule that has the most storylines. For starters, as you said, you're, you're opening up the season with the two worst teams from a year ago, the teams that had the number one and number two picks in the NFL draft. So whether or not the league did, his, did, did this intentionally to give Washington a chance, I don't think that was it at all. Um, but th- I, I wonder if that's even happened before. Number two is Jacksonville was the scene of the crime for Carson Wentz's final game as an Indianapolis Colt. You know, they played Jacksonville in the season finale as a 15-point favorite just needing to win to get into the postseason, and he shit the bed, as did the entire team. 
It wasn't just Wentz that played poorly. The entire team played poorly. They got blown out in one of Trevor Lawrence's only really good games of the year. And he, you know, they ran him. You know, there's been this discussion that Chris Ballard, the GM in, in India, said that, you know, maybe the ship had sailed even before that game. Let me promise everybody, if they had won that game and gone into the postseason and won a playoff game, at least one, Carson Wentz would still be the quarterback in Indianapolis. Even if they didn't like him, even if the owner didn't like him. That was the coup de grace. That was it. I mean, losing to Jacksonville as a 15-point favorite when they were already predisposed to thinking that they didn't want him back. Well, that was what did it. So now you open up with Jacksonville. So Wentz goes from his last game uh, in Indy, first game in D.C., same opponent. Then, Cooley, Doug Peterson is the new coach in Jacksonville. Doug Peterson's last game as a head coach was the game in which they tanked in the second half against Washington in 2020. They put Nate Sudfeld, and I remember you saying you shouldn't consider putting Nate Sudfeld in the game as tanking. But they they benched Jalen Hurts. They put Sudfeld in. Howie Roseman and company said, we're not losing draft position here, and Washington won the game. I personally think Washington would have won the game anyway. So you have that part of it. You also just have, well, you have Brandon Sheriff playing for Jacksonville in his first game against his former team. And what you really have more than anything else is an organization in Washington that has a new name, a new brand, and a sense of urgency to win right away or they won't be able to gain any ground from a business standpoint. They need a big-time start to the season. You know, one in three, two in five, disastrous for them. And they've got a chance to get a win in their home opener. And then in week two, they're favored already. They're a four and a half point favorite over Jacksonville. Seems a little bit light, doesn't it? Um, they're a four and a half point favorite. Uh, and they'll be a favorite more likely than not at Detroit in week two. But it also puts a lot of pressure on Ron Rivera and that football team to not blow it early in the season. I think the pressure's on Washington those first two weeks, especially in that opener. I would much rather have the pressure on me to not blow it in weeks one, in week two, than play Tennessee and Green Bay in week one and week two and start out 0-2, because I think no matter what, the pressure's on this season. I I, I mean, they went and got guys they needed. They drafted out of position for guys like. Like they're trying to win right now. Like this is a win season for Rivera. It needs to be. So I'd much rather have the pressure on to win against teams that I should win than to play two baller teams. I understand that. I get that. But what it means is if you don't win that game against Jacksonville, it's going to seem like the season's over after the first week. And it's not. You got sixteen I mean, games all left. All one thousand fans at FedEx are going to be super bummed. How many? How many will be there? I don't know. How many do you think will be there? I think they'll get fifty. Um, fifty. You said today that, or you said to me the other day when we talked that all eight season ticket holders are going to be mad about something. <laughs> okay, that was an exaggeration. Obviously, um, they put out they, they put <laughs> out this. Eight. 
they put out this press release yesterday that the first 40,000 fans that arrive for the home opener on September 11th against Jacksonville will receive a Washington Commanders and Bank of America co-branded Rollabana. Do you know what a Rollabana is? Mm, I don't think I do. I'd never even seen the word before. Brendan, my producer on radio, was not completely sure. I think he had to look it up. And he said it's like a, a an unfolding, like it's a rolled up banner. And so you unroll it, it becomes like this mini banner that'll say, I'm sure, Washington Commanders with a Bank of America, you know, sponsor on it. So the, how does it, how do they spell it? Uh, capital R-O-L-L-A-B-A-N-N-A. Rollabana. I mean... Ooh. I thought it was just me because I said to Brendan, I said, I don't, I'm not familiar with what this is. I've never even seen the word before. Maybe it's me because I am not a memorabilia or a collector or anything like that. And he was kind of caught off guard as well. And I think he looked it up and tried to explain it as best as he can. I mean, this is another one of those PR things like, Maybe uh, maybe much younger people know exactly what a Rollabana is, and I'm sounding like a complete idiot, but Brendan's under 30 years old or 30 years old, and he didn't really know what it was. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna roll out some sort of an exciting giveaway for your home opener for the first 40,000 fans and you're hoping that 40,000 show up, maybe give away something that everybody will know right when they read it is something exciting rather than having to maybe look it up and figure out what it is. I would go for the Rollabana. <laughs> How many people do I think will be at the opener? I have no idea. I have no idea. The, the, uh, the home openers, uh, the home opener for them last year against the chargers was the first of what would become a situation all year long. You know, not a lot of people and most of the people there are rooting for the opponent. I would doubt that Jacksonville is going to have a lot of their fans at the game on September 11th. And I think with the new name, <clears throat> there's going to be a new audience that will be excited. And if it's a beautiful day, uh, you know, that they could get a paid attendance somewhere in the, you know, 40 to 50,000 range and maybe get 50,000 to the stadium. That I, I think that's their biggest home opener in recent years. Um, that would be great. Um, real quickly on the rest of the schedule. Can I stop you? Can I stop you really quick? Yes, you just did. I am watching this Washington Commanders tweet. They're ready to smash the competition. Have you seen this? No, I saw the Jacksonville there's tweet, tweet. There's a tweet from the Washington Commanders, ready to smash the competition, with a three-minute video of multiple players with a sledgehammer breaking other teams' logos and things. <laughs> and in it, it has a Tennessee Titans guitar, and the punter, Tress Way, smashes the guitar. <laughs> okay. You'll have to watch this. I, I, I'm, they, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. They have sledgehammers I see there. It's a weird thing for a team to put out. Teams went wild on social media yesterday with the schedule, having fun with it. There were a lot of... Okay. Things out there. I mean, the, Jacksonville <clears throat> said, "Hold on, I got to find Jacksonville's um, 
Twitter page because I saw this yesterday. Jacksonville retweeted Washington's announcement of its opener yesterday and wrote the following. Tell Carson we say hi with a little smiling, (laughs) you know, the colon uh, parentheses. Um, I I love, though, like they actually went in and made a video for this this tweet, but I love the, the, there's not just a football team now between two teams, there's also a social media team between two teams. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, I I don't know if I've said this or not. Um, There's, her name is Caitlin McComb. Most of you are not going to know this name, but she is clearly now part of the Washington Commanders social media team. And I, you know, occasionally because I'm a follower of the Commanders uh, on Twitter, I get a lot of the tweets. And I'm just going to say this without spending much time. She's really good. And the reason she's really good is she's very positive and she doesn't respond at all. And she doesn't seem to be phased at all at all of the negative responses. Because, you know, pretty much half the time they put out a tweet. I mean, the responses are grotesque and mean-spirited, you know, about this team. And, you know, like for years it was hashtag fire Bruce Allen, and and now it's just, you know, when's Dan going to be gone? They just make fun of him. And this particular woman, Caitlin McComb, I don't know who she is, but she's very prominent in Washington's social media push and ticket push. And I can appreciate somebody who doesn't stoop to all of the criticism and just stays super positive and super enthusiastic about everything involving the new brand. So to Jason Wright uh, and all of the people on that side of the building, I don't know who Caitlin is, but from this seat, not knowing who she is, I bet she is a star employee out there. That's just my guess from afar. But anyway... Uh, back to the schedule real quickly. Um, there is one thing that stuck out to me. Just two primetime games at Chicago and then at Philadelphia. Carson Wentz plays his former team, the Eagles, in week three at home. Then plays Indianapolis, his former team from last year, on the road on October 30th. And then on Monday night football in Philadelphia on November 14th. Washington has just two primetime games they're both on the road let me assure you that is not by accident Um, they don't want Washington playing primetime games at home anymore Uh, not until they've got fans back in the stadium the the aesthetic of uh, of a three-quarters empty stadium on national tv in primetime is unbecoming for the league and so they're not going to give Washington last year they gave them one home primetime game, but it was in week two coming off a playoff season. And so they gave it to him early, plus they gave it to him against the Giants. Um, so you, you, I, had a, I had a feeling that there was a chance that they were not going to play um, a, uh, a primetime game at home. And it, so the three primetime games that I had in my mock schedule Two of the three were road games. I did have them playing Aaron Rodgers in a Sunday night game at home, figuring if it's Aaron Rodgers, there will be a crowd there. 
but they've got to win to get back, uh, and they've got to get fans back before you see them have uh, home games in prime time. The other thing is there's a stretch of schedule. Um, there are two stretches of schedule that are difficult, I think, you know, based on what we think now and subject to change per usual. The stretch after Jacksonville, Detroit, Philly, Dallas, Tennessee is a big stretch because if they can get a one and one start or a two and0 start, you're going to have to win a game or two in that next three. And then Green Bay, Indy, Minnesota, Philadelphia in October and early November is an interesting stretch that includes the return of Kirk Cousins to FedEx Field for the first time. They played Washington in 2019. Um, you probably called that game, right, in Minneapolis? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, the Vikings won that game pretty easily. Uh, and then they have a weird schedule. No, that game was way closer than it should have been. No, it was they, Dwayne came into the game after Keenum got hurt. The, the score ended up being close, but it wasn't really that close of a game. It was closer than it should have been. It was closer than it should have been, yes, on the scoreboard. Cousins was 23 of 26 that night for 285 yards. And Keenum started off well, and then Haskins came in for the first time that since he had played in that giant game. And then they got him ready for the uh, Buffalo game the next week because Keenum got concussed, I think, in the game. Right. Right? I think that's what it was. Um, but yeah, he got concussed pretty early. In a scheduling and you know strange anomaly at the end of the year, they play the Giants, have a bye week, and play the Giants again. Um, that's happened a couple times. I think Baltimore had that with Cleveland maybe last year or the year before. Uh, but they basically have back-to-back games against the Giants with a bye week uh, in between. They play one of the late afternoon Christmas Eve games against San Francisco uh, out in Santa Clara. And then uh, there was some hope that if they played Cleveland, they'd play them early when Deshaun Watson was more than likely, uh, you know, more likely than not suspended. But Cleveland comes late in the season, next to last week uh, of the season at home on January uh, January 1st, New Year's Day. And then they finish the season with Dallas at home. I don't know what this schedule means. I mean, Carson Wentz has to be really good this year for them to be a good team. And the defense has to be a hell of a a lot better. They've got a chance. The roster doesn't suck. But it comes down to Wentz and the defense being much better than it was last year. And if if those two things happen, they've got a chance to win eight, nine games, I think, and contend for, you know, one of the seven playoff spots. They're not a terrible roster. Dude, no doubt. This schedule's not the most brutal. I've seen a lot worse far schedules go. But, I mean, even if you're close to 500, you get to Houston, Atlanta. Atlanta's going to be all right. Houston, Atlanta, New York, New York. A chance to win three out of four or not four games there. Yes. At least you're not playing the Chiefs or no. Tampa. Beat Tampa last year, but you know what I mean? You got four winnable games week 11 through week 14. Yeah, it's I, I said this That's to you before. It's nice. It's hard to With predict. With the body in the middle of it. Yeah. Last year, it's you had all those quarterbacks. You never know what's going to happen. The, last year, you but had all those quarterbacks. Saying this, it is hard to predict the schedule, but if things are going well or okay for Washington, 
getting into these four games, they should be in good shape. They're not. They're not. I mean, you never know. But things if things are going well, four winnable games. Last last year they faced at the beginning of the year the prospect of Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Matt Ryan, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, and Dak Prescott twice. Um, I'm not sure you know uh, going into a season any team has ever faced. A, a murderer's row of quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks like that. This year, you get Trevor Lawrence, Jared Goff, Jalen Hurts, before you get to Dak Prescott. Now, I like Hurts. I don't know if you like him as much. I forget. Ryan Tannehill, Justin Fields. Uh, you get Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you get Matt Ryan. You get Kirk Cousins. But you also get Davis Mills, who I know you like. Marcus Mariota, whoever's starting for the Giants, whoever's starting for the 49ers. The two best quarterbacks on your schedule by far are Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson. Uh, and both of those games are at home. They're not on the road. So on paper, as I like to say, uh, looking at the schedule, it's different from last year because of that. You know, right now you don't have to face all of those really good quarterbacks and really good offensive teams. Their strength of schedule is the easiest in the NFL according to last year's wins. Right, which is not a good way to determine strength of schedule. Yeah, that's the best way. No, it's not. Do you want to hear what the best way is? No. Yes, you do. Because you're interested in this. I'm not going to change my mind. So you will, you're going to change your mind. Um, using last no. year's records is not the best way. As we know, the league changes significantly year to year. But what Warren Sharp did, and I talked about this about a month ago, Warren Sharp created uh, his strength of schedule based on the 2022 over-unders in Vegas, like the average over-under totals, the projected win totals for the team. So looking forward as to what the, uh, what the odds makers believe the teams will be next year, he did a strength of schedule that way. And Washington's was still one of the, most e- one of the easiest schedules in the league. Um, but remember this too, and I've pointed this out, the easiest schedules – if you've got an easy schedule, you know, at least based on any sort of way you factor strength of schedule, so do the other teams in your division. Because 14 of the 17 teams you play, games you play, are basically the same. Uh, you know, and playing the NFC East and the NFC uh, and the AFC South is why the NFC East has all of those easy schedules. The Cowboys in, in Washington. No, I, I hear you. you. Yeah, you understand that. But the, with with the added playoff team, it does help a little bit that it's not so division heavy. The added game? You mean just the added well, game? The added the added game. Yeah. And the and the added playoff berth. Right. I mean, with, with one more playoff, like you don't have to win the division. There's another wild card in there. So. Right. Three wild cards. And, yeah, and, that, and that you have 11 non-division games. With, schedule the most important. Yeah, but you have 11 non-division games as well. <laughs> People like to say, yo, you got to do really well in the division. Well, you actually don't have to do really well in the division if you do really well with the other 11 games versus the six in the division. It's helpful if you do really well in the division. 
And you probably don't win the division without a good division record. You know, at least three and three. No, you know, no worse than that. But the other 11, I mean, you're talking about almost two times as many games as division games. So you better do well on those. Agreed. Can I tell you a couple of other quick things about the NFL schedule as a whole? Because there are some weird things. Denver trades for Russell Wilson. They're a nothing team here over the last couple of years. A talented team, but without a quarterback. Five primetime games. A Christmas Day afternoon game. They have seven total, if you count the London game they're playing in, high-profile games, including the Monday night opener for Russell Wilson as the quarterback of the Denver Broncos in Seattle against his former team. Uh, that If Washington had gotten Russell Wilson... Uh, the whole outlook on the franchise would be completely different, as we all know. But the schedule makers would have treated it as such as well. I mean, Denver's one of 12 teams with five primetime games, which is the most you can have scheduled. Now, you can get flexed in late season into a sixth or a seventh primetime game. But it's really amazing that Denver you know, goes makes one trade and they're one of the premier teams – on the schedule in terms of uh, prominently featured uh, in 2022. Um, how about this one? The Patriots, I don't think I've ever seen this in a schedule before. The Patriots play four straight primetime games uh, in November and December. Um, it starts on Thanksgiving night. Uh, in Minnesota. Then they play a Monday, a, a week later, they play another Thursday nighter against Buffalo. Then they play a Monday nighter against Arizona. And then a Sunday nighter against the Raiders. Four straight night games in the regular season. That's pretty weird. I don't think it's That's ever amazing. happened before. Not without the flex in. Not without the flex in. You guys, remember in 2007, you played a bunch of night games late in the year. You had like, I remember the Giant game and the Viking game. We got like two in a row flexed in. Exactly. Yeah, it was the the Giants. Remember that game? It was super windy in the Meadowlands. Oh, yeah, I do remember that game. And that game was... That game was flexed into Sunday night, and then you played the Vikings that was flexed into Sunday night. You won both of them, and then you beat the Cowboys to clinch the playoff berth with Todd Collins. That was, you know, a few weeks after Sean's death. Right. Um, anyway, whatever. Uh, Washington didn't get a Thanksgiving Day game. There was a lot of speculation about that. Uh, and... Um, and, yeah, that's the NFL schedule. Do you have any other thoughts? I want to get to your film breakdown. I just wish I could have done one with you. Well, let me – do you have it in front of you? Will you just tell me what <laughs> no, Just I tell me what your opener was? I'm not doing <laughs> I don't. I, just, I don't. I thought it was going to be I – I figured they would be Indy or Philly. All right. Um, up next, Cooley's film breakdown of James Robin Brian Robinson Jr. Not James Robinson. There you he's, go. He's ja- he's a Jacksonville running back. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr. and then Cole Turner. Uh, we'll start that process right after these words from a few of our sponsors. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Cooley's Film Breakdown here on the podcast uh, brought to you today by Window Nation. They've got 0% financing for five full years right now and buy two, get two free. Go to windownation.com or call them at 866-90-NATION. If you've been thinking about new windows, there's no risk. The price quote they give you will be valid for six months. Shop it all you want. See if you can find a better deal. I don't think you can, and I don't think you'll work with a company that's better with a better overall product. Right now, 0% financing for five full years. You won't pay any interest, and you'll pay half price on Windows until the year 2027. 866-90-NATION, windownation.com. All right, Cooley, let's start with the Alabama running back, Brian Robinson Jr., their third-round pick. All right, dude. So Brian Robinson, it's interesting because you like a lot of guys you think about how much they played as a sophomore or junior. You don't care at Alabama, especially if you're a running back, because they're going to have dudes in front of them. Um, the one thing I thought as I was watching him right away, like he's a strong runner. Yeah. It, without, without looking up anything about him, like big dude, strong runner, obviously I remember some of last year as well. But in, in watching what I think is a strong runner, I, I think he's got some good lateral cut. I actually think he's got decent feet at the line of scrimmage. 
Um, to me, he's a guy that has pretty solid vision. I think he can run a tight zone scheme really well, which is what Alabama did a lot, and it, it fits perfectly with what Washington does and a lot of their gun run stuff. Like They really don't have a lot of stretch zone stuff in Washington. So he's a tight zone, inside zone. They can mix in. He could be versatile in terms of schemes. He could mix in counter, trap, whatever you want to do with him in, in that fashion. Um, I, I think he's got enough burst. Like, And then you see he's a 4-5-3 guy. But I think he's got enough bur- burst to, to run away from people. So I, I like that a lot about him. And, and to me, it's like it. it it's a pretty consistent one-speed guy. Like I, I don't see like tempoed and shaking, but like it's it's a one-speed. But if he gets through the line of scrimmage, he's going to get you six or seven, or eight or ten. He's going to he's a very consistent runner in that fashion. I do think he has the ability to run through tackles. I'd like to see him with some better avoid, but I think he's he's very capable of, of running through arm tackles a lot of the time. I think you see him in Alabama pass protecting a lot. I think he's an okay pass protector. It's something that's incredibly important in the NFL is for a back to be able to be consistent as a pass protector. I think he's got a little bit of a drop his shoulder at times, but I like his size in that fashion, and he's able to really fill against a blitzing linebacker or help against a defensive lineman and do a pretty good job in that way. Um, the negatives... Uh, he's he definitely runs high. Like he's he's a downhill high runner. You don't see him at the first contact or second contact lowering his center of gravity. You just see him kind of continue to run through. So like say he runs through arm arm tackles, he also ends up getting hemmed up with arm tackles, and you get to that second and third guy, and they'll drag him down. Uh, I don't know if he's a guy that is going to get past the safety. Like, he's, he doesn't have a lot in his arsenal as far as moves and spins. and like He's got a good jump cut of line of scrimmage. He's got a good body turn, turn away from contact into the second level. But I don't see him as a guy that's going to have a ton of 15-plus carries. Like I think he's getting tackled inside of 15 yards more times than, than not by, by a long ways. I don't necessarily see him as a three-down back. Uh, I know he can pass protect. I said that. I don't know how versatile he is as as a route runner out of the backfield. I don't know what they'll ask him to do in, in that fashion. A lot of young backs are never three-down backs. And and even as I say that, teams acquire J.D. McKissick for that. It's a different. It's almost a different position in that world. Right. So uh, that that doesn't overly concern me. Uh, well, I think. There's vision there. I think at times he can be slightly indecisive, and and again, like I'm not. I don't want to get over critical with this, but there are times where I'd like to see him hit front side a little quicker and not like delay, delay to backside. It's Alabama, so he gets away with a ton of it. He doesn't when they play like Georgia. He didn't as much when they played Texas A&M. He does when they play Ole Miss. You know, like get away with that hop, hop, weight indecisiveness. Yeah. Where I think there are times that he could just hit the front side and just go, like just go take the six yards. Don't try to continue to bury it back. Um, 
One thing I thought was interesting, and I looked this up, I said, I bet he's not a big yards per carry guy. And Alabama last year, he averaged five yards a carry, which in the NFL is an all-pro. But Alabama's, over the last five or six years, they're all 5.7 to 6.0 yeah. in terms of yards per carry. And you're talking about a guy with a phenomenal quarterback who obviously didn't run it a ton in Bryce Young, but could. And unbelievable receiver. That, that to me, is some, see, really seems like a formula for more breakaway carries, more big carries. But I, like, I'll just go back to, I just don't think he's got that. It's not the breakaway speed I'm talking about. Yeah. It's that last move. Like He does not string the third move together. He's got a good cut of line of scrimmage. He can shimmy a linebacker. He is not shaking the third dude. Like you, I, I, you just don't see him getting that safety at nine yards and breaking his ankles. What's weird is I also didn't see him just run the dude over a lot, which I don't hate. Like I didn't run guys over either. But there's just not that versatile third deal. And so in that, I, I see him as a – NFL guy that's going to get you three yards of carry, four yards of carry, and that's that's probably close to what he'll be in that fashion. Um, I don't know. Traditional Bama back, very good player, is going to contribute for you right away. I don't think he's a guy that could carry the ball 25 times a game. He won't because that's not necessarily what Washington does. But he can run with power. He can run with speed. He can get to the edge. Uh, don't see him as a true dynamic receiver. Although at times he flashed decent hands, I think he's real average as a route runner out of the backfield. A lot of that can be worked on. I think I think overall, it's just, Kevin, it's just a solid pick. I think it's a solid pick. I don't think he's going to. To me, he doesn't seem like this guy that's going to ever blow anybody away. But he's going to continue to pound you with consistency, and they're going to like the pick. So the question everybody had was why they've got Antonio Gibson. They have J.D. McKissick. They, you know, as an undrafted free agent last year, they kept Jarrett Patterson. Um, He didn't fumble once at Alabama, and Antonio Gibson has obviously had a fumbling problem. So that would be one of the answers as to why. But when you draft a, a running back in the top three rounds, you expect that guy to be a contributor. And so compared to Antonio Gibson, you know, what do you see? Do you see a guy that's going to take Gibson's carries or share them with Gibson? What do you see in terms of the comparison between the two? Weirdly enough, as a runner, I see a lot of the same guy. He did, by the way, have a fumbled snap against A&M on third and one. Probably wasn't his on him, but just throwing that in there. What do you mean a fumbled snap? You mean a fumbled that. exchange? Yeah, a fumbled, ex- a fumbled exchange, okay. not snap. Fumbled okay. exchange. All right, well, he was not. Did, no, he, he didn't have yeah. one credited fumble to him in his entire time at Bama. Yeah, and that's. I wouldn't have credited that one to him, but I don't. Do you see? Like you watch these backs, and you're pretty good at, at understanding what these backs are as well as anybody. Do you see him as dynamically different from Antonio Gibson? No, in fact, Gibson is a lot the same guy. Gibson, to me, has much much more home run potential. I mean, you saw that at times. You saw that in the Buffalo game, you know, last year when he took the screen pass and went 80 yards. And Gibson's power to me is the same. I think you were critical of Gibson's vision in his rookie year. 
you said that, you know, he just didn't have really good feel as he pressed, especially on some of the zone runs. I thought it got better. Um, I thought it was much better last year. The PFF numbers on Gibson say that he left a lot of yardage on the field last year. I didn't necessarily feel that way watching him. I thought his vision was improved, his yards after contact exceptional, and by the way, he can run, you know, he can basically go 80, you know, with 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 some wiggle to make a safety miss and and take it the distance. He also had a fumbling problem and he's also injured often. Um, and so maybe part of this is that Robinson Jr. is like Gibson, as you said, and will take some of that first, second down responsibility um, and and share it. But you don't draft a running back in the third round unless you think the dude's going to play for you. It's a wasted pick if you pick a running back and, and you end up, you know, it, he ends up inactive every week. I don't think he's going to be inactive. I, I think – He's definitely a guy that you keep active. I'm sure it's because of some of the injury stuff. I know they like Gibson. They, I, I don't understand how you wouldn't like Gibson. But you, you still you want to keep that first and second down versatility that you have. And, you know, you and I have talked about this a bunch over the last couple of years. Like, why don't they just let J.D. McKissick do it? Both of us love McKissick. I, I like him as a runner. But they don't. And so you want to be able to have that that first and second down game plan the way you had it and I think Robinson allows you to do that and you find out how he develops in your system I mean it's a dude I like I don't love the guy like he doesn't he's not gonna blow anybody away nobody's gonna watch this dude on film and just go wow yes he's not Derek Henry not him no he's he's not he's not Mark Ingram um but he's also consistent yeah. Like you know exactly what you're getting with him, and if that's where they want, and that's like I like I was in just watching him, wondering if they don't take him there, does he go in the third round? I, I think close. Like I don't think he gets past the fourth by any means. I don't think it was like a overreach. There were there were a couple of running but, backs I liked more, um, and I didn't like any of them in the third round. I didn't want him to take a running back in the third round, but. The guy out of BYU, Tyler Algier, just I loved him, and I and I liked the back from Georgia, Zamir White. Um, both went after him. I'm just talking about the guys that went after him. I think this guy Davis Price um, from LSU, had he been there, which he went five picks before Robinson Jr. I think they may have taken him, but you know, same kind of situation. By the way, I looked up his forty time because I don't think I had done that yet. He ran um, at the combine. He ran four five three. So of course, there's a big difference between him. And, I mean, Gibson ran sub four four at the combine. Gibson was also a wide receiver mostly at Memphis before he came out. Uh, but but yeah, I, I, he he was a good player, and he played for basically five years in a lot of big games for, as you said, a team that had a lot of big spaces to run in most of the time because of their receivers and their quarterbacks. Yeah. I don't I don't like 453 is slow. No, I'm not like, saying it's not slow. Get that wrong. But I'm just saying four, compared four, five, to Gibson. 453 will run away like can can break away. Yeah. It's just I don't think he's got the nuance in between the numbers as he gets a little bit downfield to actually break away. Right. Like, I think he's always, I think he's always going to get hit. Gibson ran. So, I just wanted to make sure I was right. Gibson ran four three nine uh, when he came out, um, 
And they're basically, you know, the same size. Robinson's, you know, 6'2", 225. And, you know, Gibson is in that same thing. I think that's still, to me, the, the surprising thing about Antonio Gibson for me, because I didn't realize this, because we didn't see him play a lot of running back, is just how physical he is as a back. They're both, right, downhill physical yards after contact backs. It's just in Gibson's case, Gibson can go the distance on any play. But he fumbles. And he's hurt. A lot. Right. Not a lot, but occasionally. Okay. Occasionally. Uh, He had had something going on all the time. You ready to do Cole Turner? Yeah. Yeah, let's do him right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Looking to bet early NFL 2022 season props? Uh, MyBookie's got everything. Go to MyBookie.ag or MyBookie.com. Use my promo code, KevinDC. They'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. MyBookie.com, MyBookie.ag, promo code Kevin DC. Uh, all right, Cooley, Cole Turner, fifth round pick out of Nevada. Go. Cole Turner, six foot six, big dude. Listed uh, him at Nevada at 240. I think most people probably know that he's thin. He's got a big frame. He could easily be 255. I don't know if he needs to be. So, before you get into it, like, Cole Turner was a receiver that changed into tight end position at Nevada. He's not a receiver. But, my God, he can make some plays, man. Like, I think anybody that watched some of the Cole Turner stuff, you've you got to be really impressed. Some, some, how many back shoulder fades did he catch for touchdowns? I know. Like, at some point, if you're Fresno State, you might want to put somebody else out there besides a five ten corner. Like they've thrown him nineteen back shoulder fades. Maybe put a taller dude on him. Be a maybe, good I idea. don't know. Maybe. Good idea. You know, if you're Boise State, like, hey, probably gonna throw a back shoulder fade from the five yard line to this dude, and he gets them all. He's got a really good feel for going up and getting the ball in the air. He tracks it well. He high points it really well. He had to be a basketball player. It had to, had to be that had play. had to have been yes. Like he manipulates his body like he's getting a rebound. He goes up. He high points the ball. Maybe a basketball player. No doubt. At least he looks like it. I I think he was. He? I I I'm not a hundred percent sure. But in when I started watching the highlights when they worked out Carson Strong and Cole Turner privately before the draft. I was like, this dude is definitely a basketball player. I mean, he boxes out on some of those fifty-fifty balls like a six-seven forward. That's exactly what he does. Um, so they used him everywhere. Like they they split him out everywhere. They used him at X. They used him at Z. They used him in a slot. They used him off the ball at tight end. I, I don't think he ever really put his hand in the ground. They used him all over the place, and like I, I think he's a guy to me that has an awesome feel for space. Like one, he can get off the line of scrimmage. Like he's got a good wiggle, like a quick double or triple stick, like one-two jab off the line of scrimmage, get skinny, slip, evade downfield. Does a really good job of initially getting himself downfield. 
two, and this is what I think is the best thing about Cole Turner and watching him play. And this is something that you just you can't teach it. It's it's a different deal. He finds open space. Like your route can call for this. Like we want you to run straight here and over here, but like he finds a way to manipulate the stem of the route to open space to get into a good look for his quarterback. I just don't think it's teachable. I think that guys just naturally do that, and Cole Turner does that. And so in saying that, I think he's a guy that's going to catch a bunch of balls in the NFL, period. Like, right there, he's going to catch a bunch of balls. I, I'm not going to sit here and say he's Travis Kelsey or he's going to be a printing a pro bowler, but he's a guy that's going to get open for you. He's also a guy that, like, he's not overly fast, right? But he plays faster than he actually is, in my opinion. And he's getting downfield quickly. Because of his ability to evade initially and his stem, he's, he's able to get himself downfield. And, and in that, that's why I think you see him catching a lot of seam balls and a lot of kind of vertical-type routes. It's also what Nevada does, but I don't question really the speed. Like, I think he was a four-seven-six guy at the Combine. I thought, he, like, I thought he, he ran better all. than that. Didn't he run better, better than that? I thought he ran like four-five-five or something no. like that. No. You sure? I looked it up an hour ago. Okay. Well, you got a computer in front of you. Look it up. I I, I am right now. So Hold on. It, it why I would bet that four seven four seven six. You're right. In just saying that, I did look it up. But in just saying that, for a tall guy, he doesn't open up his stride. Like he's a short stride guy. Mm-hmm. But I don't hate that. Like I was a fairly short stride guy. He runs with decent balance. Um, to me, he separates pretty well. He, he doesn't separate. like He's not going to like scare you, blow by you, separate, but he's got open space. So a, a foot is open in the NFL. And with his awareness to find that space, it's, it's pretty awesome. He extends to catch ball. He's got very good hands. Like there, there's, a, there's a few drops in there, but that's not his hands. That's discipline or whatever, you know, that's lack of focus in, in whatever moment. And you don't like that, but it's better than a guy that can't catch. Right. Like, he's not so nice. He's got, he's got great hands to me. Great hands. He can one-hand it. He can go out way out in front of his body and get it. I think he's got good hips. He can open his hips and, and rotate and get a ball. To, to me, he really versatile in that aspect. Um, production is, is really good, Kev. And in the positives, I would much rather have a guy that produces than a guy that runs a four for five or a four for five. And when you watch the, a full Nevada game, I watched three full Nevada games. They are always trying to get him the ball because they trust him. They know he's going to get it done. They trust him, and he produces. Like that's what I want in. In, a, in anyone, in, in any player, is the guy that's producing. So really impressed with that stuff. Uh, some of the downside, not used a bunch in line, really, as a tight end. He's, like, he's okay as far as footwork as a, as a blocker. He's, and he's willing as a blocker. But he's soft, and he's way upright. Like, and he's, and for a tall dude, you understand that, but... He blocks way upright, and he's not a physical blocker, 
by any means, but that's somewhat unfortunately going away with some of the tight ends and what college football is. They did ask him to block some you know, at the line of scrimmage without his hand in the ground. He, to me, he's got a concept and an idea and he knows what he's doing. He's average. He's at best average, a little below average as a blocker. He does not show me on film or seem to be a very strong player at this point. Like, he does get banged around. I mentioned his ability to evade, his ability to get... But if a linebacker hits him three yards downfield, he's knocked dynamically off his route. At times, he can get punked in that fashion. He's, I mean, he's never going to move someone as a blocker. He's going to get banged around a little bit. Uh, he's good. He's decent as far as run after the catch. I don't see him as, like, incredibly versatile as a run after the catch guy. Uh, and watching him is funny. Like, a couple years ago, I went to the Combine. kind of reminds me of Gasecki. Yeah. He doesn't move as well as Gasecki. Right, I was going to say, Gasecki can motor a little bit. Gasecki is like a true ass, like a true runner. Vertical jump, insane, explosive. But the movement patterns, to me, are, are a lot the same. Gasecki's just got a little bit more quick twitch to him. I mean, honestly, like overall, I think this is a great pick for them in the sixth round. I think he's going to produce. I think they're going to have to figure out where they can put him, where they can place him. But I've seen so many tight ends in the NFL that can't block at all that end up having phenomenal careers. And they'll put him on the backside of runs. They'll cross him across the line of scrimmage and just ask him to bang into the backside defensive end. They'll chip with him. They'll do, like, that isn't a deal breaker. Like, I think some of why he didn't go any earlier is, is just is maybe some of that unknown. Like, well, he's a receiver at Nevada. It's a smaller school. He played a lot of receiver even after he transitioned to tight end. In the slot, he was split out. Do we know if he can truly threaten anyone vertically down the field? I, I, I think he can. Uh, can he make? Can he? Can he get something in that five to six yard range? Can he separate on third down against tight man coverage inside? Will be a huge question for him. You know, does he have enough against a safety or against a nickel corner to to be able to win in third down situations? Will be a huge question to, to whether or not he's a great tight end or just a guy that is a 40-catch-a-year guy. I think it's an upgrade. And, and look, I, like, I think Logan Thomas has done a terrific job for them over the last couple of years. It's a big upgrade if he continues to grow a little bit, in my opinion. I think Cole Turner will be a good player. I think he'll play a lot this year. I think he'll contribute for them this year. And I think he has the potential to really grow into a pretty good prospect. You said a couple of things. Um, first of all, I think it's a really interesting thing that you said relating to drops. You know, a lot of people who, you know, just look at numbers and analytics will look at drop numbers and say, well, he's got too many drops. And you made a really interesting observation because when you watch Cole Turner, you see he's got excellent hands. He's a hands catcher. He's got soft hands. And if he's got drops, they could be more about concentration, which is fixable more than having boards for hands. You know, he's got really good hands. So, you know, that goes for all of you, you know, draft experts and, and analytics experts. You know, sometimes those numbers can be a little bit misleading because they can coach some of the other stuff in. Like this dude has he I would bet any amount of money he was a basketball player. I mean, he just has 
such great feel. That's number one. Number two, you mentioned he's got really good feel for space. And you see that, especially him finding holes against zone coverage. Were you good at that? I think you were, right? It was one of the things I did best. Right. Were you more comfortable facing zone defenses, or were you, uh, or or you know, press man or just regular man coverage? Zone. So you loved it when you. I knew wasn't. You... So it, like it changed throughout. Like there were times where man coverage was great. Like press man coverage, I I could have done a lot better job in my career figuring out how to get off and separate against press man coverage. I also, I. Played in a bunch of different systems and stuff, and we did things different in every way. So, you know, I got better at it, and then we'd change, and I'd get better at it and change. But, like, that improvisation to zone coverage was always there for me. I was, I was always able to do that. Do you see him being used against teams that, you know, are primarily going to play zone and maybe – you know, some of the red zone stuff against man coverage using his size um, in the red zone, but that he's going to be a, a really good, you know, guy in the slot perhaps um, yeah. against zone coverage? I think coverage. it's impossible to say that he's a, he's a guy that we're going to play against zone coverage teams. He might be a guy that produces early in his career more against zone coverage, but if he's going to be a good player, he's going to have to win against man-to-man coverage. But he's not going to have to block. At some point, he's going to have to block. He has to block at some point. He was all league in basketball his senior year. Oh, he was? In Oregon. Yeah, of course. Yeah. He's, I mean, it's so easy to see that, though. Athlete. No, I, like, I don't think he's going to. Like, I think he can beat man-to-man coverage. I, like I don't see him as a guy that can't beat man-to-man coverage at all. I don't want to come across that way. Like I think he—he's a guy that if you're gonna if you give him a little bit of space initially, he—he's got enough shake to create space. If he can do something at the top of his route in the NFL to separate, he can win. Um, where was he ranked in the tight ends? I didn't even look at that. He had to be in the top five or six, didn't he? Uh, I'd have to go look at that. You know, Carson Wentz has, you know, the the thought is that he's always done better with bigger targets, with bigger catch radius guys. You know, Zach Ertz, Alshon Jeffrey, Michael Pittman Jr. in Indianapolis, as an example here recently. And, you know, Jahan Dotson, even though he is only 5'11", has, as you saw, a huge catch radius. Um, This guy's got a big-time catch radius, don't you think? Not to mention he's huge. Huge. No, he's got a huge catch radius. It's like he, he looks like this is just for fun. It's not like he's there, but he, he, some of the way he moves, it looks like Gonzalez. He really you does I mean, have a it, great feel for space. It, it, great. And a lot of it, he does remind me a little of Tony. Tony was actually a pretty good blocker. But. He reminds me of Tony Gonzalez a little bit, and just of the way he moves and the way he attacks the ball. Like, let's not get it confused that I'm saying he's going to be Tony Gonzalez. Hope he is. I like him a lot. You told me I would like him, and I do. I I, I like him a lot. I'm excited. I'm excited for him. 
I think the comp is Jimmy Graham. I mean, it would be phenomenal. I love that comp. Uh, but yeah, I, no, I think that's a great comp. And and Graham was a you know was a big time college basketball player. Yeah, he is a he's a lot like Graham, like another big basketball player, Antonio Gates. He's not as quick twitch as Antonio Gates. Like Antonio Gates had such a a quick twitch that that's not necessarily him. But this this kid's gonna play. Like he's gonna be a player. I, I would bet you on that. Yeah, I I I'm excited about him. I'm excited about uh, of their picks, and I know you haven't looked at all of them, and you'll get your assignment for next week um, after this call. But I, I, I love Dotson and I love Turner. Like they just, they're just, they were too productive to let any of the other, to let any number really get in the way of. That's why I loved Kyle Hamilton in the draft, the linebacker from Notre Dame. I don't give a shit that he ran four seven. If you watched him play, he never looked slow. He was never not there. Uh, because he is long-armed and he anticipated well. This dude just has that feel that, you know, of just being able to find the right spot and he catches everything. I don't maybe he didn't have a drop problem. I forget, but for what for some reason I think somebody well, I mean, he had a couple of drops. I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a drop problem though. Yeah. This I had him ranked 11th. This was the first year you really didn't work with any college tight ends, right? Or did you? Yeah. No. You did or did not? I did not. Yeah. What did you think of Carson Strong? Oh, hold on. Carson Strong? The quarterback for Nevada? I don't know. Oh, I, I like him. He lets it go, man. Yeah, I mean, he was thought... Yeah, he moved to, in pocket pretty well. I thought he's got some stuff to him. He he apparently has, like, um, you know, a, a replacement cadaver in his leg or knee or something, and that, that, that kept people off of him. But he, you know, he's a big dude. Uh, and he signed... He m- Most people thought he would get drafted, um, but he got signed as an undrafted free agent by Philadelphia. I think he's got, he's got a chance. He'd worry about that. Obviously, but as an undrafted, shoot, even if I liked him and had that issue, like I, sixth, seventh round, I don't care if I like the guy. I'll take a shot. Right. So I didn't look at the stats. Dude, this, Cole Turner had, I know, two years ago, 49 receptions for 605 yards, nine touchdowns. I know. Yeah. 62 this year for 677 and 10 touchdowns. 111 catches, the, 678. Uh, 19 touchdowns. In part, that average is down to around 10 yards a catch. I'd, I'd bet you because seven of those touchdowns are back shoulder fades from the three. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. There were several of those. And he seemed to catch all of them. Uh, like every one. I, I mean, he had, some, he had an amazing catch against Boise State that was he, he didn't come down inbounds with. But one-handed and almost got it inbounds, like vertically down the field. The dude is—he's got ball skills. He's—he's he's got enough athleticism. I—I I, I I mean, thought you would like. I thought you would like. You're just so worried because he's just all—he's just always detached. So anyone, you're—you're you're going okay. What? What will he do? What can he do for us? 
he at the very least is somebody you'd love to see in the red zone with, you know, Logan Thomas out there and having two six six dudes. Uh, by the way, keep in mind too the forty nine catches the the his his junior year was the short nine game was the yeah it was the shortened season the the COVID yeah. season. So he, I mean, he was outrageously productive that year. He had a game um, that year, and I was looking at this, and I'm trying to pull it up now, but it was like fourteen catches in a game or something for like. Um, hundred seventy-five yards. Yeah, against Hawaii. Hundred twelve, so, twelve catches, one hundred seventy-five yards against Hawaii. Right. This site I pulled up has this conclusion: finding the right fit is going to be the problem and critical for Turner. Say that again. You broke up. None, like, finding the right fit is going to be the problem, and 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 having the right fit will be critical for his success. Let's not be so dumb here. Is that not if like ninety percent of players in the NFL? Yeah. Yeah, what do you what do you do? Uh, what do the Patriots do? Oh, they find the right fit for all their players and play them accordingly. How they fit. And if my tight end isn't an online tight end, but he can go up and make plays in the middle of the field and do everything I want him to do and challenge linebackers and safeties from something displaced. I think I'll just do that. Right. You don't sign a man corner in free agency to a big deal and then play mostly zone coverage. Yeah, you you just don't do that. You Uh, don't sign a cover two safety and pay him X amount of money and then have him as a pump protector. (laughs) Adam Archuleta. They paid him a a lot of money. Somebody fell in love with him. Just not anybody in the football operation. Um, All right. I thought you would like him. He'd be a guy you'd love to work with, right? I like to work with anyone, Kev. He is a guy that I would love to work with, though. Yeah, because he's a guy that has all the athletic tools and is all the innate abilities. You just you're just refining stuff with this dude. He's good. Isn't he? He's good, Later. isn't he? He's is good. Yeah, I like him a lot. I think he's got. I think he's got a chance. All right. Uh, thanks. I'll talk to you later. All right, that's it for the day. Two Cooley film breakdowns, Brian Robinson Jr. and Cole Turner. Um, And next week uh, we'll try to get a couple more in. He's done half of them now. Uh, Percy Butler and Phil Mathis he hasn't done. We'll at least get him to do those two. Uh, Maybe the two seventh rounders we'll pass on. We'll see. Uh, Have a great weekend back on Monday.